What if you need to help someone who's a lawyer? What if you need to place an IV in a morbidly obese patient? You are listening to ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Today we are discussing the recently published book for doctors, What If? The Physician Survival Guide. In this segment, we will be focusing on problems during emergency situations. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I am your host, Dr. Michael Benson, a clinical assistant professor in the Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology at Northwestern University in Chicago. With me today is Dr. Ronald Goodspeed, co-author of the book, What If? The Physician Survival Guide. He is president and CEO of the South Coast Hospitals Group in Massachusetts and is board certified in internal medicine. Welcome, Dr. Goodspeed. Thanks very much, Michael. So uh, this first question I find intriguing, what if you do have to help someone who is a lawyer? As an aside, I do have patients who are lawyers, and as soon as I discern that, I tell them that we have a special for lawyers. We'll cut your heart out for free. (laughs) (laughs) I also have to kind of know my audience. I, I believe Clint Eastwood once said it's important to know your audience, so it depends on what the patient is there for. But um, (laughs) that's not probably an answer I would recommend to the audience. What do you recommend if you have to help someone who is a lawyer? Well, it's it's actually uh, the first few times you have that experience of realizing that the patient you're you're trying to help is a lawyer. It can be a little bit anxiety-producing because of all of the serious issues relative to malpractice lawsuits in this country. The fact is anybody can bring a lawsuit against you, and they don't need to be a lawyer. And There are no particular diseases that I'm aware of that lawyers are associated with. So the fact that they're a lawyer doesn't help you so much in your diagnosis of the patient. Narcissistic personality disorder is one that comes to mind. Well, that could be. (laughs) And a particularly difficult one to deal with. Um, I think the, the key thing is don't treat them any differently. They are patients. They have problems. And they are actually no more likely to sue you than any other patient they really want to be treated as any other patient. So the key is good care, good documentation, and most of all, really good communication. Uh, My own experience in dealing with lawyers is that uh, they really do want to be treated for their problem. They want you to forget about the lawsuit issue. And uh, for the, the few lawyers that I have who are actually involved in medical malpractice, I think they actually are a little concerned about what's going on around them in the hospital just because they have a heightened awareness of the uh, and maybe a a disproportionate sense of the types of errors that can take place. But otherwise, I think they really just want to be treated like everybody else. What if you're starting an IV and the catheter breaks off in the vein? What do you do then? Luckily, this doesn't happen too often, but certainly it's, it's something that can happen. Patient safety has, has become a major focus in, in our hospitals, and it's, it's not because it's not an issue. As routine as starting an, an IV can, can be, um, there are times when the plastic cannula breaks off, or it's actually more likely that it might happen as you're removing an, an IV line that's been in place for several days. When this happens, the goal is to keep the catheter fragment from traveling centrally you know, toward the heart and the pulmonary circulation. So you keep the arm still, and if possible, keep the arm you know, where the IV line was uh, below the level of the patient's heart. Place a venous tourniquet around the arm up near the axilla, and you actually may already have it in place if you were starting the IV. And check for peripheral pulses to make sure that, that you put on a venous tourniquet and not an arterial one by accident. Tape down the visible portion of the catheter 
and then you will need an interventional assistance in removing the broken off piece of the catheter. In other words, you'll need a surgeon, or in some instances, it might be something an interventional radiologist can accomplish as well. What if you're examining a patient in the ER and you notice a gun tucked into his waistband? Now that may seem a little bit bizarre, but I've actually spoken to a physician very recently in the context of discussing this book who had that experience. And the approach to it is, one quick comment I would make is, certainly what comes to mind first of all is the, the growing prevalence of street gangs in uh, larger cities these days. But another uh, situation where you may find that is a situation that you're actually dealing with a police officer who has is wearing a weapon on themselves uh, someplace. At any rate, don't panic. I think simply say to the person, I notice uh, you have a weapon, and I'm uncomfortable in the presence of the weapon. If it's okay with you, I'm going to step out of the room and get um, someone to assist me with the weapon. If they're reluctant, I think you just simply repeat with them that you're really uncomfortable with them um, having the weapon with you in the room and that you won't really be able to uh, take care of their problem today and to ask them to leave. Usually that won't happen. The patient is usually there to try to get some assistance. An alternative way of approaching it is uh, to say, I notice you have a gun and I am required uh, to ask security to come and speak with you about it and then excuse yourself and your security forces in the hospital or in the institution where you're working can deal with it as well. If you have just joined us, you are listening to Reach MD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Benson, and my guest is Dr. Ronald Goodspeed, co-author of the book, What If? The Physician Survival Guide. He is president and CEO of the South Coast Hospitals Group in Massachusetts and is board certified in internal medicine. In this segment, we are discussing the problems that arise during emergency situations. Here's a question as an obstetrician that I particularly like. What if you have to deliver a baby outside of the hospital? Yes, this uh, is something that uh, definitely I didn't encounter. And the first time it happened, it was actually in the front seat of an Oldsmobile. Uh, I hope it wasn't your Oldsmobile. It no, and it messy. wasn't my Oldsmobile, as a matter of fact. The, <laughs> I think the... Um, well, I won't get into all the details of that, but the... the, the, the By the way, this is... I just have to interrupt for a moment. This is XM, and so the FCC uh, is not listening, and uh, you certainly uh, have a wider variety of speech available to you than if you were simply on AM or FM. This okay. XM. Okay. Thank you. Well, as you know, births can happen anywhere, Michael. Uh, the key thing is, is to be calm. If you're an obstetrician, it's fairly easy, but the majority of physicians are not obstetricians. Be calm, but more importantly, try to calm the mom and let her know that you are a physician or a student, a physician in training, and instruct mom to breathe deeply and to not push. And you may want to explain to her that, in other words, don't grunt or bear down as though she were moving her bowels. You can uh, assess the situation a little bit further and ask about uh, water breaking or, or was there you know, foul odor or greenish color to the, to, to the discharge when that happened. And either yourself or someone who's with you perhaps should call 911 uh, to get additional help on the way. Make the mom comfortable. Um, have her lie down. 
prop the, the mom slightly toward her left side and take a peek. And I've, um, I think a simple way to do that, especially in this awkward situation, is to have up her, bend her knees and then tell her to let her knees fall to the side. You see the baby's hair or scalp, the baby's crowning and delivery is imminent. How are we doing so far, Michael? Uh, oh, you're doing fine. Okay. Instruct mom to deep breathe and with the feeling of a contraction to push for about 10 seconds and then rest and then repeat that. When the head is delivered, which is basically I think one of the key things here for the non-obstetrician to remember is in this situation, you're trying to catch the baby and mom is delivering the baby. So check, check as the head is de- delivered, uh, check around the neck to make sure the cord is not wrapped around the neck, the umbilical cord, and if it is, as quickly as you can, unwrap that. And then from there, typically the anterior shoulder will deliver first and then the posterior shoulder. Again, you're not pulling on the baby. Um, you're having intervals of the patient deep breathing and then pushing for about 10 seconds and mom is delivering the baby. Your job is to catch the baby and make sure you catch the baby. And if the baby cries when it's been delivered, you wrap it up to keep it warm and do the same with mom. Put the baby on her belly, and if it's possible to get the baby to start to suckle, that'll help with uh, controlling any bleeding that mom may happen. What if uh, this is something I worry about every time I take uh, my kids fishing? What if your friend has a foreign body in the eye? I just read something about uh, a relatively high number of fishing hook in the eye injuries. It sounds kind of horrible. So what do you do? Not necessarily a fishing hook, any foreign body. Certainly this situation happens a lot. With superficial foreign bodies, you know, a piece of, uh, of dust or some other small uh, foreign body, it's not a serious matter. It's certainly more painful uh, than it is serious. And I'll come back to that. With that, the seriously penetrating foreign body, such as a fish hook or some other sharp object that's, that's lodged in the eye, you really need to immobilize the eye um, as quickly as you can, uh, calm the person, and get them uh, to an emergency department as soon as possible. But with the routine, uh, less serious foreign body, again, calm the person, tell them to try to keep their eye closed, and then if you're able to get a hold of some uh, warm, clean water, open their eye for them, and rinse out the eye as best as you can. You can also um, open the eye wide and inspect the eye to try to find the foreign body. A lot of times it will be on the um, interior surface, uh, the conjunctival surface of the lower lid, sometimes the upper lid as well. But you may see it adhering to the cornea, uh, which is usually fairly painful and not that easy for you to remove in the field. If you do see a foreign body adhering to the cornea, close the eye. If you're able to have tape nearby to tape the eye closed, best for the patient, and then take them to an emergency facility where that foreign body can be removed pretty easily. What if your companion has a nosebleed that won't stop? I've never encountered that, but I have no idea what I would do if I did. The key is to uh, get the person at rest, sitting upright, not lying down, and to squeeze the nose. You know, pinch the nose from both sides. But the other key to that is patience because you need to squeeze the nose and do that for 20 minutes. If you do it for five minutes, and believe me, when you're doing it, five minutes seems like a half hour to to you and the patient. 
Uh, but squeezing the nose is really the key issue. Most of the bleeding in these instances is coming from the anterior inferior uh, nasal septum. If I recall, that's something like uh, kiesel box plexus, it's called. And that's the key for, for, for most um, nosebleeds. 95% of them are actually um, anterior inferior. I want to thank Dr. Ronald Goodspeed, co-author of the book, What If? The Physician Survival Guide, who has been our guest. In this segment, we focused on problems during emergency situations. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Benson. You have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Be safe. Be informed. For comments and questions about this program, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening. For questions and comments about this program, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.